Hey peeps, what's going on? Hello robot. Welcome to episode 34 of Creative Writing Podcast. On this show, we got a sweet little interview. Got some industry news. Going to talk about some stuff. Maybe you're going to get a new bike? Hey, check out our Facebook page if you get a chance. Give us a review on iTunes. Oh yeah, do all that good stuff. All right, all right. Well, I hope last week was really good for you. I hope you had a good time last weekend doing whatever you did. There was a lot of cool motorcycle stuff going on, and I know we're kind of entering the midpoint of summer. Everyone wants to go on vacation. Everyone wants to take a break. But guess what? Well, they are, actually. I was, I was. There's nothing to that. They are. They are going to take a break. There's going to be a lot of break in the motorcycle racing. We've already seen Flat Track take a break. I, I believe World Superbike is coming up on their break pretty soon, and MotoGP. You know, everybody's. Uh, nobody wants to do... Nothing during the summertime except for to lay around in the pool. If you're on the East Coast, uh, I've heard that there's been like a lot of um, inclement weather and, you know, between sweltering heat and downpours, you guys are just getting tortured. Out here on the West Coast, we've also been tortured with like 70 and 80 degree days. There's been a couple 90 degree days in there. Oh my God, it's like so terrible. It's always sunny. Uh, When we get some water, you know, we always have to go ride our motorcycles. All right, so guess what? What do you think, robot? All right, I'm liking robot. So there's a couple, couple few things I wanted to talk about on this week's show. Uh, one of them is being, well, that 2017 is going to be basically 10 years, let's say, after the decline of the economic global situation. We're going to see a rebound, supposedly. I, I've been reading a lot of stuff in a lot of press and a lot of magazines saying that 2017 is going to be the year just because of a few things. A, we've had 10 years to recover from the disaster that basically was the fallout of the global markets about 10 years ago. If you're only 10 years old and you're listening to this show, consider yourself lucky because you've only seen things go up. I mean, it's been it's been a rocky climb. It hasn't been great. A couple countries have gone bankrupt, like Greece and maybe Italy and stuff like that, and... You know, other other places, it hasn't been so great worldwide, but you know what? It's, it's never going to be. So just take it as you get it and enjoy, enjoy the good times and make sure it's on two wheels. That'll make things a hell of a lot funner and you'll kind of forget about what's going on around you. But at any rate, you have seen stuff increase and, and grow over the last 10 years instead of kind of like waver, falter, and then just eat shit. So basically, you... You know, the last 10 years has been pretty good, and and the Euro 4 compliance stuff is happening. You know, all the stuff that has been, um, is going to be introduced now and is, is actually going to trickle up into 2020 is kind of being introduced next year. So I think that's why the SV650 was probably released as a 2017. I think there's going to be a new GSXR, and I thought it was going to be for 2016. Started hanging around and waiting, and nothing ever showed. So, boom, 2017, here it's going to come. I, I probably, you know, there's supposed to be a BMW Scrambler coming on the way, and they keep pushing it back. And so, basically, I don't, I'm not 100% sure if they've been waiting for this Euro 4 compliance stuff to be added to it or what's going on. But at, at any rate, there's basically been a bunch of stuff um, that is going to be trickling down here in, in 2017 and, and renewing, resetting, and it's going to be another one of those benchmark years. Now, 2007 was a big, actually quite a big year in motorcycling. We had like enormous amounts of 
motorcycle manufacturers, various people bringing on. I mean, e-vehicles were gaining a, a hold back then. I think that's the first year I rode a Bramo, and they were getting sold at Best Buy. Uh, there was a few other companies that I can't even remember right now that were coming on. You know, 2008 happened. Everyone just shuttered up, you know, and highest Sung was coming on strong in the US and they've quietly distributed stuff here, but I mean they were putting it out. Ural was putting stuff out back when their stuff was only like seven thousand dollars, not like fifteen or whatever the hell it is now when everyone thinks it's cool. So at any rate, there was a lot of stuff happening back then. Ten years later, things have quietly closed, other things have quietly opened, but we've seen another resurgence, in my opinion at least, of the e bike, electric motorcycles you know, for the past 10 years, they've been they've been racing them. There's been the Isle of Man, of course, TTX GP. There has been the uh, Pikes Peak class. You know, Victory's been kind of climbing up the ladder here and dominating that thing. And if Don Kinney had not been the first bike out on the track that morning, he might have had, you know, uh, I'm, I'm guessing he might have had a better shot. He didn't lose by that much. So at any rate, an electric bike came in second. And so we're talking, you know, they're... People are putting, you know, e-bikes down, but man, they're they're right up there with the freaking heavyweight. You know what I mean? He came in second, and it may have been because it was a cold road and and whatnot. So at any rate, Alta Motors, Energica, you know, I, there's a bunch. There's actually a bunch, and and Yamaha, uh, Honda is still like floating that Shinden out there. They haven't like st- thrown the Honda stink on it yet, but you know they're keeping it in their back pocket till stuff gets a little bit more mainstream and and recognized is what i'm guessing you know honda never takes huge risks at least in public so basically i'm excited for for 2017 i'm excited for you know 10 years post industry collapse you know suzuki's had it pretty bad and they're going to be coming back out with a couple new bikes and that's something i did want to talk about on this show was the 2017 suzuki van van I just noticed it when i was doing some research the other day and i did not previously know about this bike I, I, it may have been floating around out there because it's already been over in europe i think since last year but it's a cute little bike it's basically a competitor to the tw200 i'm gonna go ahead and let robot give us some stats here and i'll translate if you can't understand so robot tell us what is the suzuki van van 200 basically it is the same price as the tw200 What's that price, Robot? Yeah, 4599 The TW200 comes in at how many pounds, Robot? And the Van Van? Right. So the TW200 is 278 pounds. The Van Van's 282. Not, not too far off. You know, just a few pounds there. I did notice that the wheelbase is a little bit longer on the Van Van. It's about two inches longer. Um, the seat height on the TW200, what is it? Uh-huh. And on the Van Van... Right, so you have basically an inch less on the Van Van. So I, I don't know. I just I guessing that people can feel like they can flat foot foot it a little better. They both feature a nice big fluffy seat, but the Van Van has that throwback kind of ribbed uh, stitching in the seat, so that's pretty cool. Now, robot, what is the compression ratio? Right, you didn't get that with the Van Van. What we see is three bigger CC. I'm not 100 percent sure what the bore and stroke is because I did not see that on the site that I'm looking at. Robot, do you know? All right, does not compute. Okay, so anyway, we got three more CCs, but the fuel tank is one spot where the Van Van lacks. So although you get a lower seat height and a little bit bigger displacement, you get point, 
you know, one less gallon. The uh, TW200 comes in at 1.8. Van Van's 1.7. I guess not such a huge, huge um, difference there. But, I mean, you know, if you're going by by tenths of a gallon, then uh, you have to stop a tenth sooner on the road, you know. (laughs) Anyway, they both come with a five-speed constant mesh chain drive. They both feature the same brakes. They've got a single in the front and a drum in the rear, or, or single disc in the front and a drum in the rear. The tires are basically identical for both of them. You got a 130-80-18 up front and a 180-80-14 in the rear. They both feature the same telescopic front fork, you know, the swing arm, uh, mono shock rear end. So I didn't see anything on the suspension travel specs for the Van Van, but I'm pretty sure that they're probably close to the TW200. They look pretty cute next to each other. The TW200's tires do look a little chunkier, and it's not as exposed as the Van Van. The Van Van looks more like a retro um, metal tank, you know, trail bike from, if you can think back to like the Honda Trails from back in the day, the early Yamaha bikes. I don't know, like the DTs or the XTs maybe, and the Suzuki had like the TCs and all this stuff. These little, little... Uh, metal tank vintage bikes are really really cute so that's something to keep your eye on if you're you know thinking about the tw200 and you just want a little change help suzuki out suzuki's you know one of those brands that i think i mentioned last episode or the episode before that everybody hates them because they're super fast they're super good but nobody freaking buys them and they didn't even import them here in like 2010 or 2011 so suzuki's just depend you know if it wasn't for the jixer like i said before i know i said it before now because i said the same line you know, it's like the Jixers, the Busas, and now it's going to be the SVs. But people seem to love them when they do buy them. But they're just one of those brands that isn't like Honda. You know, you ask, hey, what's a Suzuki? You know, what's a Bandit? And nobody nobody knows. They just shake their head and scratch their eyebrows. But at any, way, at any rate, yeah, check out the, the Van Van. It's really cool. And I think it's I'm, – I'm totally embracing this hipster retro movement right now because – I think it's out of the hands of the hipsters once it gets into the OEMs. The hipsters are going to move on to whatever. Bike builders are going to be looking forward to this new stuff. So I'm kind of embracing this retro retro styling that's coming out. I really liked it when it came out in certain cars. I'm really digging it on these old bikes. It just reminds me of like the fun old days when you didn't need like 1,600 cc's <clears throat> Harley-Davidson to have a lot of fun. Now, speaking of Harley-Davidson, they've been coming out with some pretty cool stuff recently too. So not to bag on them. But at any rate, that's not what we're going to talk about. Let's talk about some more cool stuff that's going to be hit, hitting us for next year. So I saw some pictures recently, the RC16, the KTM uh, MotoGP bike. You know, they they had the RC8, and I believe that had like a disclaimer that came with it that said, this bike will kill you if you ride it, so do not ride it. Now they're coming out with the RC16, and it's going to be appearing at the Austrian round of the MotoGP on August 14th, so keep your eyes open for that. I think they're going to have it in a parade lap or something like that. It'll test at Valencia, of course, after the series concludes, but it, to me, when I was looking at pictures of it, it really looks like a custom build. It didn't look like every other wind tunnel fucked out MotoGP bike that has winglets we'll talk about those but you know round uh ported out curves isn't that it really looked tacked together and it looked it was pretty bitching the, the tail i'll put some pictures up so you can see but the tail was really interesting to me the just the rear body just did not scream moto gp to me whatsoever just because of what you normally see in moto gp and then looking at, at this thing it was pretty unique and one of the other things that 
took me by surprise was the side. Looks like a BMW S1000RR a little bit. Now, I don't think BMW owns KTM. I, I can't remember who owns what nowadays since stuff has been swapping back and forth so rapidly. But I, you know, looking at the side, the fairing has like those shark gills, kind of like the S1000RR does. So that was... Something really interesting and cool that we'll be seeing unveiled, and I'm super excited that KTM's getting back into the sport bike, like the super sport bike game, just because I really thought that RC8 was cool, and if you ask anybody that owns a Duke 990 or 690 or any of that stuff, they don't just make bitchin' off-road bikes, they also make some pretty killer street bikes. Even the RC390, I think, would probably be freaking blast. So... I mentioned no wings in MotoGP next year, and that's something that you won't see on this KTM RC16. You won't see on any MotoGP bikes next year, and that's because after the safety committee and some riders, I heard a little bit more about this on the FEC podcast, Front End Chatter. Go check those guys out. Those It's the best podcast in Britain. It's like the only podcast in Britain. You, you just type in Britain, and then nothing comes up. There's like no comedy, no science, no nothing. It's just this one, so it's pretty easy to find. And basically, they were talking about some riders, actually, were the ones that were concerned about the winglets and the safety issues that they can, you know, baby, basically um, get clipped or something like that or get cut or if you come off and, you know, you're racing, sometimes you're bumping into people, sometimes you're kicking people off, like if you're number 46, you know, kicking 93 off. And those winglets, you know, once in a while will contact another rider. That was part of the issue. I mean, they're carbon fiber. It's not like they're made out of um, a Hattori Hindo blade or whatever some famous Japanese swords craftsman, you know, it's not like they're going to slice anyone's leg off. But in the event of a crash and in the event of like an off or some contact, they want to make sure, you know, plus I had mentioned this a while ago because they didn't want it to become basically like a development speaking of brands that don't make a hundred bajillion trillion megillion dollars you know you can start testing and and spending all sorts of money on stuff when you're when you're a MotoGP team and you got a lot of money and then the lower teams will never be competitive just because they start doing stuff like this like start developing winglets and stuff that helps you get better traction and better aerodynamics so they don't know whether they're a safety concern right now Basically, some riders brought it up, and since there's nothing to say they're not a safety hazard or a safety concern, they just decided to do the safe thing and get rid of them. You know, ban them for next year. Maybe if they prove to be like a competitive disadvantage, they will, somebody will be smart and submit some paperwork that they were asking for that said, you know, I, we've tested it. They are not a danger to riders and they don't pose a safety, um, concern so let's go ahead and and reinstate them but basically what had happened was that you know riders got together with the safety committee the the manufacturers all had a deadline where they could show test results like independent test results that that showed that they weren't you know shouldn't be concerned about them safety wise and nobody went ahead and did any of that so i don't know how you would test something like that but you know apparently ducati was arguing that they there aren't and they did have some results but they didn't submit them so their fault and i think they're probably the ones that are arguing the most for them they have like put probably the most development into them now i had read somewhere and i I thought that they were for cornering i thought that when 
the way that they angle down at the front that when you're in a corner they're pushing the bike down and and they may be to some degree but the other thing that i read is that they actually are to help the bikes from wheeling on the front straights and coming out of corners and stuff they push they're pushing the front end down so that when you're getting on the throttle you know you're not popping a wheelie so apparently what they need to do is all these imus and traction control if that's truly what they're for they need to get that stuff dialed in because I thought that's what that stuff was for. So perhaps they're trying to turn that down to get a better drive out of the corner. And then at some point it's lifting the front wheels a little bit. And they're like, well, we need to get these to help push it down. Now, we're kind of getting back to what I've been ranting on for the past few episodes of like learning bike control and not relying on all this shit to get you through and out of a corner safely or across, around a track and how people have been riding differently because the older guys had to use their brains and the newer guys don't because the computers do it for them. So maybe not having them in MotoGP next year, we'll see different winners. We'll see a bunch of people getting their come ups and we'll see a bunch of different techniques potentially more crashes i mean then everybody's going to scream that they were a safety issue because now that everybody's crashing because nobody knows how to ride blah 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 endless snowball downhill that is like moto gp but at any rate no wings next year long story long story even longer if you do like Harleys, I got something to say on the next episode about Harleys. i'm going to save it because we got a special interview today but there if you do like harley be aware that there is, um, uh, there's not a recall yet, but there's a, a federal probe. The feds are always sticking something up Harley's ass. And this time around, uh, NHTSA, which is the National Highway and Traffic Safety Administration, they're looking at HD for some faulty ABS systems and almost half a million. There's 430,000 models made between 2008 and 11. Now, 2008 is when ABS debuted on Harley's. And Apparently, it's taken this long for the problem to arise because what what's happening, you get moisture in the brake lines. You know, everything gets moisture in the brake lines if you don't change it out often enough. So what's happening is that it, that moisture is working its way back into the hydraulic modulator, the brake modulator, and the actuator valves inside are corroding, and then people have been losing brakes. Now, what's important to note is that there's been 43 complaints, but only two injuries so far. And apparently none of the brakes have lost the front and the rear. It's been one or the other. If you know how manufacturing and QA and safety and all that shit works, you know that you have to have like a fail safe mode all the way back to like the seventies. You can't have everything working on one circuit. So there's no way for one to stop and the other to not apparently. And I, I, didn't read anywhere that there had been anybody that said that both front and rear went out at the same time. I could be wrong about that right now, or more stuff may arise in the future. But, you know, there's fail-safes. That's the word I was looking for, is fail-safes. And basically, you know, Harley's saying that a lot of people don't change their fluids when they're supposed to. They don't come in for those checks. They don't do, like, the, the boring maintenance stuff. And this is what happens, is that they're not changing their brake fluid for at the specified mileages so all that moisture that accumulated in there wouldn't have been in there if they'd been flushing their brake fluid all the time and so basically they're saying it's not harley's fault it's not the brake modulator's fault but now they're going to have to look into it and say well we're gonna you know are we going to replace these then or you know what's what's going to happen i guess they're the that's what they're trying to get to the bottom of them and the feds 
So we'll have to stay tuned for that to see what the outcome is of that. They they already had a problem with their brakes, which is a couple of years ago. So I mean, this is you know nothing new for Harley to get some recalls. Uh, some other changes in safety. Uh, BMW for the EU4, which is the European OBD4 or the European four standards. Uh, there's going to be a lot of changes. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, this might be the reason why we're going to see a bunch of bikes coming out this next year because the standards went into place and there's a lot of people having to meet them. Something I thought was interesting was, I mean, U4 is basically the standards of emissions. And so there's going to be a lot of, I thought a lot of bikes gone. You're, you know, if you're trying to make stuff more compliant to an emission standard and your motor is shit or your exhaust is fucked up or something like that, it's going to take a lot more R and D. I mean, should it takes like five years to get a bike to market if it even looks good, you know what I mean? And talking about, you know, having to rework some of this shit, it, the same you know so i thought we'd see a lot of bikes go away but apparently we're going to see more bikes introduced probably some sweet new prototypes and some superhero bikes that are only in the movies are going to become reality electric bikes are going to be the new thing and i'm just making some shit up right robot right okay so the last thing i wanted to mention is because of the euro 4 bmw has said they're going to make some changes they're going to make you know they always make quote changes and it ends up being like a piece of body kit here or there or they add a safety bar and call it an adventure model uh so basically what they're saying is that there's going to be along with some of the emission stuff that they're changing and a lot of companies going to water cooled in order to get you know more efficient and better uh emission uh compliance with their models and stuff like that so bmw we they gone to the water boxers now except for i believe the r9t is still the only air and oil cooled boxer they had to make some other other things. You know, they're changing up some transmission components. I don't know if it, better shifting is going to mean better engine efficiency. And, and I don't know how all that's working into the EU4 compliance. But it was just a side note that along with the EU4 stuff, they're going to change some, re, you know, revising the transmissions, which may mean revising some bodywork. They're putting like a judder damper on the output shaft of all their stuff just because they're, you know, such huge... I'm guessing vibrations on those things that they're trying to reduce that they're doing some internal reworking uh, is what I believe too. They're putting some OBD light, you know, indicator lights on the clusters. So kind of sounds really minor, even though they're saying, you know, all new bikes for 17, we're having so many new models. They even said it at the motor show last year. And then when they say all new models, what they mean is basically taking their models, uh, revising the motor for it and maybe changing some bodywork and then they call that a new model so not really anything new one of the most significant changes that i read is that they're going to be getting side marker lights so uh, i mean aside from an engine revision uh, or a tranny revision rather side marker lights and i've seen a few bikes cruising already i saw an s1000 rr a couple months ago that had some side marker lights obviously aftermarket but they looked pretty cool and they caught my eye and i was trying to explain to some of the car people at work that you know headlights point forward taillights point backward at nighttime you can merge over into a motorcycle quite easily and nowadays cars pretty much all have side marker lights on them complying with the with the european standards and it 
adds like a layer of visibility. And at nighttime, if, especially if you're riding a black bike or you're dressed in black gear, that shit makes a difference. A lot of the freeways where I live that stretch across, you know, the states don't have lights on them when they're out in the boondocks. And a lot of them go through the boondocks. If you're traveling from, you know, town to town, sure, they've got streetlights on them on, the, uh, you know, in the, within the city limits or whatnot, or maybe even, you know, within suburbs and whatnot but then once you get out into the boons there's nothing out there so i don't know i think these side lights will be kind of cool i i only read about beamer and and a couple other bikes produced in the in the europe because these are european standards i didn't read about this applying to all bikes but i can imagine that it probably is for bikes being sold there as well i could not imagine you know that uh, this stuff will be trickling over probably i'm guessing to most of the other manufacturers and all the bikes that are 125 cc and above i believe the article i read stated had to have abs so you know what i've been ranting on about you know why we don't have some stuff on these smaller bikes like fuel injection and abs and stuff it's totally possible well now it's probably going to be regulated and it's going to have to be on there so i think we're going to be looking forward to a future that I am not 100%, you know, sure is the best way. However, if it comes on everything from now on, people are going to be used to it. Just like, you know, I'm sure people were weirded out about carrying a little playing card sized thing in your pocket and being able to call people on it. When cell phones first came out, now it's just like, you know, you feel naked without it. It's like not putting on your shoes or your pants if you don't wear shoes. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just going to be one of those things where people grow up with it, people are used to it. So I guess I shouldn't complain about ABS and all this other shit if it's making stuff safer. So that's all my blib blab for this week and enough chin wagon. We got a special guest to get to on this show and uh, in this episode. So I'm going to go ahead and just hand it right over to my past self. Take it away, me. Robot, you want to do the introduction? Okay. All right, Robot. All right, our, our guest tonight on the show is an avid listener and probably my best friend when it comes to emailing. I'm gonna, I usually flub this part and, and introduce the guest before they get a chance to, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna let this person introduce themselves. So, why don't you go ahead and tell us your name? My name is Paul. No aliases. No aliases. You're <laughs> such a lucky man. I'm hiding from the feds, so I have to use one all the time. Where are you at right now? Right now I'm in uh, Budapest, Hungary. I'm, I'm here uh, for a few more weeks working. Great. At least you're not on the run from the feds. So, <laughs> And uh, basically, if you can give us like a 10,000... A uh, foot view of yourself and what you do while you're in Hungary. <laughs> sure. Uh, so I work in, uh, in in a manufacturing environment, and well, recently I, I worked for a, a company in Irvine, California, and um, and I, I had been with that company for almost 14 years or or maybe 13 years, um, but just through some different organizational changes and, and restructures. I, um, I, I, I felt it was time to move on um, and do some independent work, independent consulting. And so as of 
March, I, I left that job and my first assignment after leaving that job was with the very same company. So um, just not in Irvine, they have a, a sister facility over here in Budapest. So I'm, uh, I'm out here working for them and uh, it's, it's about a three month assignment. And then after that, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be back and forth in Budapest until September. And then uh, we'll see what lies ahead. Wow, that sounds like fun. And and when you say manufacturing, um, you don't mean mafia. So I mean that's that's good that you're you don't have to hide out over there. Um, one quick question before I jump into like the real serious motorcycling questions is how's the food over there? Oh, phenomenal! the The food is is fantastic. The you can pretty much get anything. Um, in typical, I think European style, it's very laid back. And if you go to a regular restaurant, everything is just so the pace is a little bit slower. So you could be there for like three and a half, four hours by the time you sit down and until they finally get the check over to you. So I, um, I tend to go to the places where you can actually pay beforehand. Like you, you, you know, you go up, get your food, pay, and then you can sit down and, and you can be in as, you know, in and out as quick as you want. There's a couple, um, really good restaurant. One, one is uh, Vapiano, um, which is like, they've got pizza and pasta and things like that. And they, they make it right in front of you on, on like a walk type of thing, the, the pastas. And um, then the other one is called um, uh, Frucolo, I think it's called. And that's like a, a salad place, but it's like a, um, like a salad bar. They just kind of throw everything together. And plus they make like weird juices and things like that. So I'm, I'm trying to be like super healthy while I'm here because it's, um, it'd be really easy to, to put on some pounds. Cause it's, I mean, on the weekends, I, I tend to, um, uh, relax a little bit. And if I can find a, like a great, um, sausage or something, they, uh, out on the street, the street vendors, they, they have, they make the best sausage in the world. So I'll, I'll, I'll indulge a little bit. And, and there's like ice cream stores, like, you know, every, every corner there, they, they've got, you know, they've got them like we've got Starbucks down, you know, in, in the States or all over the place, ice cream and gelato. And so you can really, you can really overdo it. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, the, the food is, is amazing. That sounds delish. And I take it, how, well, another weird question is like, how's, how's the music and fashion scene over there? Um, it's, it's, a, uh, I guess it's like the, here in the city and, and, and I guess you'd call this downtown uh, Budapest and Budapest is, is like, it's actually two cities there's uh that are right on the river there's um buddha is on one side and and pesh is on the other and um i'm on the the pesh side which is i guess like the more commercial and um uh, i don't want to say industrial but you know all the stores and and things like that then on the buddha side is um where the castle district and and um the all the you know old school type uh, uh living arrangements and the caves are all over there um, but here on the Pesh side um, is where all the, the fashion and stores and, and things like that. Um, and it, I would say it's like a late 20s type of uh, vibe there. It's like younger type people. And, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of bars and clubs. And, and the um, like I was uh, when I left to go home last week or, yeah, the, or the week before, my flight was like a six thirty in the morning flight. So I was catching the taxi at like four in the morning to, uh, to head over to the airport. And on the way there, there were still like dozens of people still out 
you know, drinking and carousing and having a good time. This is, you know, four, four thirty in the morning. So it's, yeah, it's, it's that kind of crowd, that, that kind of vibe. Uh, the music is, is, um, the same. I mean, it's, a, you know, with, uh, the soccer with Euro cup going on right now, there's, um, there's a lot of people out and, and partying and the train goes right by the, the hotel and, and there's just people like hanging out of the train and Hungary just, they lost a couple of rounds ago, but, um, you know, still everybody's really into it. They set up these huge screens all over the city where people can just kind of hang out and watch the games. And so that it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty lively here. Yeah. That sounds pretty cool that I forgot Euro cups going on. Now. That's pretty funny that, you know, of course it's going to be, <laughs> I, I, I pictured it, you know, the movie hostel, <laughs> I, you know, I was like picturing it as a pretty party centric, uh, country to begin with, you know, and then like a few dark murders here in some industrial <laughs> thing, but no, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's pretty cool. Um, have you seen a ton of bikers over there or motorcyclists or anything like that? Uh, the, the, the scooters are huge and mopeds, um, really huge. Uh, not, not, nearly as many motorcycles but still plenty of motorcycles uh um uh and you, you know typical sport bikes like you know ninjas and and um cbrs 600s things like that uh, a couple old school ones like the the uh, uh the 550 the cb 554 um that was parked outside the hotel just in pristine condition i don't know how it was kept up that way um that's, that's cool yeah, and it's and and you can ride all over like um, you can ride and park on some of the sidewalks and, and walkways and stuff. Like when I go to the restaurant, sometimes there's, it's not even a street, it's just a wide walkway and people can just park all over the place. Um, but they're, they're mostly mopeds and scooters and I don't know the brand. I mean, some of your typical, um, big four Japanese brands, but other, others that I don't know, you know, a lot of Vespas too, for the, for the scooters, but weird brands that I've never heard of too. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I wonder if that's because of the, you know, maybe the um, affordability or if it's just like, I, I've talked to people all over and it seems like you have to get a learner permit. And if you don't want to go through getting your license, you can just use that learner permit and ride a scooter or, or you know, up to 125 for your whole life. And so a lot of people just do that. So that's, yeah. I wonder, that's pretty cool. Before we get into motorcycling, well, do you miss your bike? I guess is is the first question I should ask. Are oh, you, you big Jones? time, yeah. big time. I mean, because I, I when I when I worked in Irvine, I had like a almost seventy mile commute each way, so I, I was racking up the miles and and every day, you know, you know, we get what two weeks of rain a year, and so I was riding just about twelve months a year, and so now it's been, um, you know what three four months where i've maybe put 500 miles on on my bikes and <laughs> I, yeah I, I definitely get the itch i it drives me crazy not being yeah. on a bike every day yeah i bet and there's i'm sure there's probably some beautiful roads if you had a bike over there to you know just explore and just take a day cruise or whatever to go that would yeah I, I'm, I'm so tempted that you know i check out the rent a bike and and you know adventure touring type things that they have around here and i, I get really tempted but uh i'm, I'm trying to you know be safe and, and just work <laughs> while i'm out here you know <laughs> yeah yeah save save your money not spend it on you know frivolous things like motorbiking right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so 
let's go back into the past a little bit before all your world traveling and, and all this great stuff. How did you get into motorcycling? I think pretty typical for, at least for like an East coast kid. Um, uh, I started on dirt bikes and riding through the woods and, you know, like enduro type stuff. Um, I had a, a friend down the road who uh, his folks were divorced and his dad lived um, down the road from me and he would come out on weekends and visit and, and he had a dirt bike. And so he got me into it. So every weekend I was looking forward to him coming out and uh, he, he had a, I think it was like an 82 or 85 KDX 175. And I wasn't, I wasn't too young. I was probably uh, maybe 12 or 13. So, and so it wasn't long after that. I mean, I caught the bug right away. Uh, so I got myself um, like a, a small bike, a, seven, a 78 uh, KD 100, which is like kind of like a pretty, you know, small chintzy little bike. It wasn't, wasn't really off-road worthy. It wasn't like a, you know, KDX or a KX or anything like that. Um, but it was, you know, it was my first bike and it got me around and, and every chance I got, um, I had, uh, like a small, uh, set of woods next door to the, um, to the house. I lived on a cul-de-sac. So uh, every day after school, I'd be out on the bike, just riding around the side yard and the woods and every chance I got. And, uh, and then when, when my buddy was in town, we'd organize some little trips where we'd go a few towns over and they had like legitimate trails going through the the woods and we'd ride all around those and ever since you know ever since then every chance i got i'd I'd be on the bike in a way i kind of feel like that rural sort of even like semi-rural you know uh environment is going away with all you know everywhere i look now where i used to ride as a kid there's houses you know what i mean so you can't just hop on and bomb out the door anymore so i'm kind of bummed about that uh but yeah that seems to be how you know at least for the last few generations how people have got their start so that's pretty cool yeah i think it's pretty typical yeah yeah uh what do you do when you're not um motorbiking well you know i I was thinking about that a little bit i i'd probably um consider dirt biking like my only hobby, you know, even though I don't do it as much as I'd like to, or, as, um, but I mean, there's other things that we do like as a family that, um, other people probably consider hobbies. Uh, like we go hiking and, you know, we, we find trails up in, uh, Ortega or Santa Rosa plateau. Um, th- w- you know, we do that as a family or even in Santa Rosa plateau has some decent, um, uh, like mountain bike trails. So I'll, I'll bring the kids and, and we'll do that. We just, uh, my wife and I just joined a, it's like an outdoor campground type place and they have um, uh, archery and, and shooting ranges, outdoor ranges, which is like nearly impossible to, to find anymore. Um, so we just started doing that uh, a couple of months ago. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, I play a little bit Xbox. I've got uh, guys that I went to college with that that's mostly how we stay in touch sometimes you know when 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 we've got the free time it'll be like every weekend you know friday night or saturday night we'll we'll be able to get together and and play and other times it'll be like six months before we any you know any of us can get on so but it's a good way to kind of keep in touch with them too right yeah with my friends and even my my uh, brother usually that's would be our friday night thing hey it was like do you want to play but it was really more do you want to hang out we did more 
bullshit and then we did playing right so yeah, yeah. It, it is it's a convenient way to get together but also you know do a little yeah. co-op you know bonding so as far as motorbikes speaking of the first uh bike that you got yourself and that and did you buy that for yourself by the way yeah i had I, you know had a paper route as a kid and oh I mean, man you know it was i, I probably less than 200 dollars i paid for it you know yeah. Uh, and, and it, you know, and I don't, I'm not even sure if it ran. I think we had to, um, uh, like rebuild the top end as soon as we got it or something. And my, <laughs> my buddy was, was pretty mechanically inclined and that's more or less how I learned everything. And, um, <clears throat> they had shit out back. So, uh, like a, you know, like a nice big one or big, you know, at the time it was like, a you could fit like one full car in it, you know, with, with all the tools and everything. His, his dad was, um, uh, was in was a carpenter so he had a nice work area in, in the back with a, a welder and, and all that stuff so we had the space so that was the first thing we did was like um, rebuilt the top end on that and got it running and um, and rode it all over but yeah that was uh, I, I probably had that for a year and then um, uh, traded up for uh, the next bike I bought was actually off his dad his dad was kind of getting into dirt well not getting into it, but he was doing it because we were into it. So he had a, like an early eighties XR 200. So I, I bought that off of his dad. I, I sold my KD and, and saved up a few more bucks and, and bought the XR. And then I used that for, for a few years too. Yeah. Those are good. Those are good bikes for sure. Oh, love the XR. Yeah. And then after that, uh, what, what was your next bike? Well, let's just go through, uh, if you can, uh, I know you've got a zillion bikes because you submitted <laughs> to the uh, Solstice Slam. And <laughs> so if you can remember uh, back, let's just run through the list of them real quick after yeah. uh, those first two. Sure. Um, so I, I had that that early 80s XR200, which at the time I thought was just an absolute bear. I, I loved it. But it was, it was kind of old school tech. It was, you know, drum brakes front and back and dual shocks. And, uh, but it, it, was, it was unstoppable. Um, I had that for, uh, for a, a little while. And then probably when I was close to like 15, I bought an, um, an XL, it was like a, a 185 or 175 or something like that, or 200, some, something. And I was thinking, oh, it's a dual sport, you know, I'll keep this for a while. And, and then I can street it when, uh, when I turn 16. Um, but I learned the lesson that if you're going to take something like that off-road and really abuse the hell out of it, it, it doesn't, it's not really roadworthy after that. <laughs> uh, so I, I use that primarily on the, in, in the woods, but and that had like a, a big, like 21 inch front wheel. And it was, it w- wasn't really good for um, serious off-roading. Uh, so I, I sold the XL and um, I don't know if I had a dirt bike for a little while after that from, because from there I bought I actually bought that same guy, my buddy's dad. He had two street bikes. He had a an old seventy four GL one thousand, like the original Goldwing or seventy five, um, and he also had an, uh, a Nighthawk four fifty, a Honda um, Nighthawk, and the, the Nighthawk was in great shape. And he was looking to sell that, so I I bought that from him, and I used that uh, like all the way through high school, and then I sold it. Um, when I was in college, I never brought it with me to college. But then when I was up at college, I bought my, I bought off my stepdad, his, uh, he had a Hawk 450, which is, which is basically the exact same motorcycle, but it, 
it had like um, like this gray fairing type stuff, like a, a gray front fairing, and um, and it, it looked like um, back then Honda was advertising like a, a Honda Matic, and and, uh, and it, it was it was like this gray bike with some plastic, and and kind of looked like the like a CB like a standard CB type type motorcycle. So I used that when I was in college, and then uh, I guess I sold that. And before, let's see, my, my senior year in college, I bought uh, an 85 VF 700. Uh, those ones, uh, one of the, like those years where there was the import ban on anything larger than a, a 700 or a, or a 750. Yeah, to help Harley with the, you know, keep the, the motorcycle imports kind of low. Yeah, I forget what years that was. It was like 83 to or no, maybe it was later than that. Was it like 84 to 87 or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I think because I think my bike was in 85. Yeah, yeah. You, and you couldn't. I, I think it was 750, definitely, that it couldn't be over. They started uh, banning and taxing certain CCs. So a lot of, you know, there's a lot of smaller bikes from that era that are still pretty yep. kick-ass. They found a, a way around by performance, you know, sort of upgrades. But yeah, uh, yeah that's pretty cool. Yeah. Was that also the a dual headlight? No, uh, it was just a single, and it and um, yeah, it was just a single headlight, and it was like a like a square or rectangular headlight, and, and yeah, and it had like uh, just really chintzy plastics on it, like uh, like the the side plastics had it, it was almost like chicken mesh type plastic where you could like kind of see through it and. And I just remember it just cracked really easy. I mean, it, it was just really fragile, frail plastic. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Did um, you try? Is it because you tried jumping it or something? <laughs> or too many wheelies on it? Yeah, maybe it'll, it'll break it. <laughs> no, but I, I my it was cool because my uh, my roommate um, at this point I was living off campus, but my my roommate could ride too. So we we could we both kind of shared the bike for getting around town and. Uh, it was kind of a, a, a small, dense uh, area that I went to school in, so it was easy to, to use the bike, even on the East Coast, to uh, to get around, and, and you could kind of stretch out the, the riding season a little bit. Uh, cool. Uh, it's actually one of the um, one of the last memories I have of, of um, I lived in, in Worcester, Massachusetts, um, before I moved out to California. The the last riding memory I have is when I was working. I, I worked in a town called Fitch. I think it was Fitchburg, which is maybe thirty minutes. I don't know how many miles. It's probably twenty miles uh, away. And I worked overnight in a in a lab. And um, well, we rotated. We worked three days in a row, seven a.m. to seven p.m. Then you'd have three days off, and then you'd work three days in a row, seven p.m. to seven a.m. Yeah, that last that last time I wrote it, I I went to work at seven o'clock at night, and it was a it was a nice day going in, and there's like no windows or anything, and you don't if you didn't want to, you didn't have to see the outside world. I I got out of work at seven o'clock in the morning, and there was like eight inches of snow on the ground. Oh no! <laughs> it took me like two hours to get home. I just going to like. 10 miles an hour trying to keep the bike in, in the tire tracks of, you know, whatever was. And, in front that, of me. and that was your sole means of transportation. So, I mean, you had, it was like that or, or hoof it, right? Uh, well, no, I, I had a, um, I had a, like a, a Ram charger. Um, yeah, I had, I had a Ram charger then, 
uh, and it was four wheel drive, but even still, I just, I love taking the bike. I'd take it, you know, <laughs> any day over, over driving a car. Um, that was a mistake that night. <laughs> except that, yeah, except that day. That was, it was all good. Crazy. Yeah. Is that where your love affair with the, with the V, the Honda V motors uh, began? You know, I, I, um, it wasn't that one. It was actually, um, I bought a V max and, um, I, I don't remember that. Well, I, it was an 85 that I bought. It was a, a few bikes in between that after the, that interceptor, I had a, an SP 600, a dual sport that I, I rode that all over the place. I lived down in San Diego at the time and, um, I commuted on it. I still had that Ram charger. I actually, I drove the Ram charger with a trailer and with the interceptor on it, uh, from Massachusetts out to California. Uh, but then I sold the interceptor out here, bought the SP 600 and commuted on that, like all the time. Uh, I drove it all the way up to like, uh, San Bernardino. I used to do the, uh, pediatric brain tumor foundation off-road ride up there. Um, and then, and then after the, I still had the SP 600 and I bought the, uh, the V max. And that's when I really loved, uh, fell in love with the V fours. Uh, it's got like, you know, low grunt, like a V twin, but you know, it still sings on top a little bit. I mean, not as buzzy and, and doesn't really get quite up there like an inline four, but, uh, especially the, the V max with the, um, with the V boost, it kind of opens up a little bit when you get up into the higher revs and, and really takes off. So. Um, but, but with the, with the interceptors, I just love the, the usability of the power. It was just smooth from, you know, from start to as, you know, as fast as you want to go, just super, super smooth. It's like riding on rails sometimes to me, it's like the, the Swiss army knife of bikes, you know? Um, what, what did you, after your V max, I mean, those things probably V max, uh, for a bike that I've never ridden, <laughs> I've never actually piloted one but I've dealt with them a lot, um, through my, through my work. And I have to say that that design and the motor, like everything about those things, I, I guess I would say kind of cheesily that it's a sexy bike, but it's just, you know, it's basically what the DFL, um, was kind of made to try and compete with, I think, but I, you know, yeah. I, the DFL for, I, I think, is not even as good looking as, as the V max. And for sure they've been a kick-ass bike for as long as they've been around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like iconic bikes. That's for sure. Um, the, the DFL and also the B King, the Suzuki B King came out a while back and now it's supposed to be the V max killer. Um, I, and personally, I, I still like the original V max better than the, than the second generation that came out a few years ago. Um, that one just looks a little too, bubbly or something but i tell you i'll step out into my garage and just stare at the v-max i i love that thing yeah so you still got it uh well i don't have the 85 i um i sold that one oh i had it maybe four or five years um i sold it and then and then i was just kicking myself for years <laughs> after that um but i i you know i didn't ride it as much and at that point i started having a, a longer commute because i moved from uh, san diego to the temecula area and and so my commute was a lot longer and it wasn't much of a, a good commuter um i bought a, a suzuki katana i can't remember the year but it was it was kind of like the a fully fared bike and um it was a um air-cooled you know gsxf just typical sport bike looking thing but uh, you know, it was, it was like 
way underpowered and detuned and it was nothing like a, a gsxr you know i mean nothing like yeah. that um i so i used the katana for commuting a lot but then um then i sold that and i still had the sp600 then i think i started picking up the the vfrs and i don't um i think it was just like you know trolling on the internet and, and looking for what would be a good commuter. And, and I just heard that it, 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 it was like a decent bike, you know, it was, it was reliable and this or that. And uh, so I bought my first one. I don't remember the year. Um, I, I don't remember the year I bought it, but it was, it was a 94 and um, I bought it down in San Diego and it, and it had what I thought at the time were a lot of miles. Like it was like, I want to say like 30,000 miles on it or something. And, up to that point, I thought that was a lot of miles for a bike, um, but I bought it pretty cheap. I think I paid like two grand for it, which I thought was a good deal. And it was in decent shape. There were some plastics were cracked, and but I was just going based on what everyone said. The motor was you know rock solid, and um, so I still have that bike, and and it's got uh, close to two hundred and sixty thousand miles on it now, and it, and it still runs like like a sewing machine. I mean, it's <laughs> it's just so smooth right so how many what how many did you say had on like 15 or no twenty thousand. Like about i think like 30 when i bought it 30 and you were worried about it then huh <laughs> <laughs> no and i swear i mean like internally i i really haven't done anything to it um uh yeah. the you know little things that that are gonna go like um i i put in a factory pro shift kit when the shifting started to get notchy and that was probably like a hundred thousand miles or so. And, 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 and since then that, that factory pro shift kit is makes shifting like, like butter. I mean, it, it is amazing the difference that that thing made, but it was only like, I got the, the shift kit and the, and the, the bearing and uh, whatever the full, you could do like one thing or two things. And I did the two things and, and it just made such a difference. The best like hundred bucks or something that I spent. So, yeah, and, and, and now going on 130,000 miles later, or maybe what you said, maybe 230,000 miles later. It's, yeah. uh, <laughs> wow. I know. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, whenever, like I'm on a couple of the, uh, the forums, uh, the web forums and uh, the VFR discussion boards and, um, and whenever, you know, someone, ask the question like well how many miles do, does everybody have on this or that and I, I love when those topics come up <laughs> it's like you will never guess half a million yeah. miles uh, <laughs> that's amazing i know you have uh, let, let me just put it this way when i when I, I think i mentioned this on the solstice slam when i first saw your profile pic i thought it was like a a joke you know i thought like oh somebody went to like a bike meet and they're saying oh look this is my my stable of bikes you know but it turns out it was totally legit <laughs> so yeah no. you've got a couple of those uh yeah at, at one point I, I was up to five i uh of the vfrs <laughs> all, all that same generation 94 to 97 uh i mean because it they were getting cheap. You know, I, you, I could pick up a decent one for like somewhere in the $2,000 range. And, and for the amount I was driving and, and the amount of gas I save, it, it, it was easy to justify. That was almost like a personal rebate, you know, 2000 bucks is going to like basically pay for itself within like a year as much as you can work commuting, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and 
granted, if I wasn't a motorcyclist, I'd have to get a, a more economical car than than my pickup that I have. But but compared to to my pickup, and at that time, you know, diesel had had gone even way more expensive than premium, and made no sense to me. But um, that was the situation I was in, and you know, I kept just. Uh, minimum liability on it so insurance was super cheap and and registration you know is uh, it's like 80 bucks a year or something so I'm, it, it made sense to me and, and just knowing that I had the backup bikes like if one needed an oil change then I didn't feel like I had to rush out to the garage and do it I could just you know hop on the other bike and use that and then when the weekend comes around then I can do an oil change or if I needed new tires or you know and occasionally something you know something big happened like all of them have this electrical issue that, you know, eventually you have to deal with the regulator rectifier and, and deal with that. So, you know, when that would creep up, then it'd be like, well, I got to wait till I can find the replacement parts on eBay and spend the time in the garage. And so it was nice when, when one is down, you, you know, you had a, a backup or two or three. Right. You know, who else thinks like that is Jay Leno. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I had his bank account. Right. One of them's out of commission. I'll just use one of these other ones. It's laying around here. Yeah, that's awesome. That's pretty crazy. So you know what? The the cool thing too is that, like you said, you knew the the reg wreck was like going to be a problem. If you keep it within that, you know, family and that generation, you get super familiar with those bikes. Heck, yep. you're like a pro. You know what I mean? You'll you'll never have a downtime. Yeah, I, I can I can stock you know oil filters and and chains and sprockets and and you know and even wheels. Like I I could if if I wanted to ride a certain bike and, and it had a flat tire or needed a new rear wheel or something, I could just swap it out from another bike. And yeah, it's, it's nice having that kind of convenience. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. That's pretty cool. You can just, you know, buying bulk items. That's one thing I hate about having, I actually have two bikes that are the same. One is like basically a yard decoration and one runs, but the same thing is like, if I need something from one, I I can swap it really quick or I could order in bulk. You know what I mean? And, yep. and it, it's really cool when you find something and it's rare, you, you tend to like, I should buy three of these, but I can't justify it. But you know, you kind of can. So that's pretty yeah. cool. Well, I'm, I'm definitely on the, on the tail end of that now. I mean, now with the, with the different job, um, I'm starting to, I'm trying to pare down like the, one of the VFRs um, I gave to my nephew uh, who goes to San Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Um, so, and he's, he's, you know, big into motorcycles and um, as much as his mom probably wants to strangle me, uh, it was, I mean, it was really my wife's idea to, to give it to him. Um, so he's got uh, that street bike and even one of the dirt bikes, we went out to Utah to do some off-roading uh, over the uh, July 4th weekend. And uh, his younger brother, my other nephew, um, we gave him one of the dirt bikes. So I'm definitely trying to reduce the the bike count at, at the house. <laughs> right. Giving him away to family also guarantees that if you kind of want to get them back later, you you have the inside lines. They're not lost to somebody that you don't know where they moved to or anything like that. So that that's is true. Very tricky. And, and also <laughs> uh, thinking like Jay Leno again. So <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> How many? Well, I think you said you had four, five VFRs. Yeah. How many dirt bikes do you have? <laughs> um, let's see. Well, I've got I've got my the dual sport um, now. I, I last year I bought a Yamaha WR two fifty R, and that's what I usually use when when we go dirt biking. 
And I got that because it's it's modern. It's electric start, fuel injected, you know, upside down forks. And I mean, all the, the modern niceties, liquid cooled. Um, and I, I was looking for something reliable because all the other bikes are a lot older. The bike, the dirt bike I had before that was is a 96 XR250, which I absolutely love. It was when I used to have the XR200, the 250 was everything that was just better about the 200 it you know single uh, you know mono shock and um it's got regular forks but they're you know big beefy uh front forks uh it's got um disc brakes front and rear so it's, it was even for that old of a bike it still you know it had those modern things that, that i was looking for and and that too was just an absolute bear uh for a, a pretty light bike you know a 250 um so i've i've still got that um, and then I, uh, for Christmas, I bought my wife, a, a KLX 140. um, found that from a, a girl up in long beach was selling that. Um, and it, it took a little, just a little bit of work to get it going. It just had some carburation issues. So I, I took a chance on it, but it turned to, turned out to be nothing serious. So we got that running and, and she really likes that. And we have, uh, a KLX 110, which my younger son used. Uh, just a three uh, three speed no clutch uh, he's not really into dirt bikes but when we force him to that's a one hole ride because he doesn't have to worry about a clutch or anything and then we have an xr80 which was which my older son had used for a little while until he had he had graduated to a, a drz 125 um, and the drz is the one i that i just gave to my nephew because my older son was now riding my XR250 and my WR250. So he's, he's a kind of a big kid. So he's able to, to handle those bikes. So I didn't really need the 125 anymore. Uh, probably don't need the XR80 anymore either. So we're, we're thinking about getting rid of that all again, all in an attempt to try and reduce the, <laughs> reduce the workload a little bit. Right. Or pretty soon you're going to have to build Jay Leno's garage. That's, that's <laughs> for sure. Um, out of all those ones or Let's go back to your first bike to all your present bikes. What's the favorite one? Um, man, that, that's a tough one. I, yeah, uh, I know it's like, it's almost like asking you what your favorite kid is. Right. And then <laughs> yeah. admitting it out loud where they can hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to mute the microphone. He's going to tell me his favorite kid. <laughs> uh, looking back now in hindsight, uh, I think probably my the XR250, uh, just because it's got so much character. It's it, the carburation. I still haven't figured out. It, it runs fine down here, but when we bring it up to Utah at the different elevation, it it, um, it it doesn't run as well. But when it's running well, it, it I just love it. It's just it's just such a bear. Um, the WR250 is so much easier to ride. You know, fuel injected, and I mean, there's no problems like that. But and for the same size. Um, motor but the the xr is just uh, just seems more fun you know it's it's more rough um but for the street bike it's it's um definitely the v max i i just i love looking at it and i mean it just i to me it it just has that appeal i I like even the the fake scoops you know they just they look like you know something tough i don't know it just yeah and and the character of riding that thing is is amazing when it's um, when that V boost kicks in, I mean, you can really feel it. It's, it's, it's like a, if you, if you drive a car with, um, with turbo on it, it's just like that. You, you see the B 
the gauge is hit and you know the, the car is just going to take off. And that, that's what the, the VMAX feels like. It's it's pretty cool. Right. That is freaking, you know, uh, that's one more reason why, like I said, I've never, I never ridden it, but uh, I, I look at the data all the time and I just go, man, this bike was pretty bitching for, you know, being a power cruiser, probably the least, I mean, everybody has a Jixer, everybody's got a, a, you know, an R1 or an R6, but for like the least popular model of their whole cruiser line, even yep. like with the stars and all that stuff, it's just got like the most bitchin' technology on it. And it literally is like, in my opinion, the top of the hill when it comes to like the power cruiser, you know, yeah. segment. And, I mean, it's and it's still faster than all those types of bikes out there and, and it's and my you know the generation one that they made since 85 it's you know back then it was running 10 second quarter miles and now you're looking at you know absolute you know hyper bikes brand new <laughs> you know, super bikes to to run into the you know mid nines so and this right. is a 600 and something pound motorcycle you know for sure, for sure. It's like a, it's like the Camaro of two wheels almost. <laughs> There's a debate about which uh, which muscle car it's it's most related to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no that that is a bitchin' bike. What is your favorite mode of transportation? Is it flying back and forth between countries or uh, riding the rails, or is it in fact spending half your day on a on a motorcycle to get from? your side of the hill down to Irvine and all that stuff. Well, I tell you, business class is nice. I'll I'll tell you that (laughs) one. But no, man, I, I had to, uh, I had to go up to LAX last week um, just to, to do some, um, some passport stuff, the, um, the TSA check. And it was, you know, typical, it was like a, I think it was Thursday. I went up there or Friday. I forget when, but it was like right in the middle of rush hour traffic. And so I, you know, I took my bike and, you know, the weather was so nice, just splitting lanes all the way through there. I mean, right up, if I had, if I had to drive, it probably would have taken like another 45 minutes at least to, to make, you know, make that ride. So yeah, there's nothing like being on a bike and having that type of freedom and all the cliched stuff about, you know, the freedom and, and the, you know, just being out in the environment. I, I get it. That's, that's, I'm all about that, you know? It is just great being able to, to, you know, split lanes and not necessarily just because it makes your ride faster, but also this weather that we've been having is beautiful, but mm. it's been, it, it, it did get up to like 110 here a couple of weeks ago and yeah. I went right riding. And if I weren't able to split lanes, man, I would have just like cooked, you know, what is the, your least favorite freeway to split on? Cause uh, um, I'll tell you mine after you tell me yours. <laughs> All right. Um, well, well, I got hit on the 91 uh, a few years ago. So I guess by default, that that's my, my least favorite freeway. <laughs> yes, that's mine too. And uh, for anybody that, that lives uh, in the SoCal and, and travels back and forth between, you know, it, you don't have to live on the 91. Everybody uses that at some point or another to, to uh, cross over freeways. And they are doing a shit ton of construction on that. And they have been since ever since probably 90, mm, probably 90, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like ever since I've been, I, I used to go snowboarding a lot and we'd, we'd take the 91 before they had like the, the cool, like the two fifteen and the 15 are all hunky dory now. But at one time you used to have to take like a weird interchange around there. And there was construction on it way back then there's construction on it now. You know what I mean? And they keep narrowing the lanes so that they can have some more, they can keep the same number of lanes, but close a couple to do all that construction. Yep. And I, 
I was splitting when I was going down to born free and uh, gosh, I think there was, I, I split amazingly. I made it, you know what I mean? And this one part, and then I just, I didn't split anymore because that freeway is hairy, man. It's like gnarly the way people drive on it and how skinny the lanes are getting now. That's probably my least favorite too. Even of like the 101 and all these other crazy ones that are like have way more traffic on them. That one I think is the sketchiest one to have to try and split on due to the amount of like lifted trucks and, and semis and shit that's out there. Um, yeah. Did you get, did you fall when you got hit or? Yeah, this was, uh, this is a while ago. This is probably 2009, I think. Um, yeah, the, I was, I was in the number, not the carpool lane, but the number one lane. So, or I guess that would be the number one, but the one next to the carpool lane and the carpool lane was all jammed up, but regular traffic was kind of flowing along and, um, and someone, um, just got tired of waiting in the carpool lane and didn't like look to see if anyone was coming. They just zipped right out and, and I hit them. This, that's like my worst nightmare. It hasn't happened to me yet, but I always see that happen. And it's like, I see people just pull out or pull in if you're in the carpool lane and it's like, yeah. God damn, like, please look, check your mirror twice before you, uh, decide to do something illegal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a bummer. I mean, I, I was fortunate. It was, it was in, it was, in the winter time, winter, probably like September, October, November, somewhere around there. So I was kind of geared up with, uh, uh, with my chaps and my, right. <laughs> and, um, uh, but you know, my winter coat, they had like, you know, uh, good, uh, elbow protection and shoulder protection and stuff like that. Um, so I, I just got kind of, you know, bruised and banged up and whatnot. And, and actually, unfortunately the, um, the bike was actually still rideable. It didn't have, um, a left peg, um, and uh like a lot of plastic was missing um but it was actually rideable and and uh when the cop got there he you know he said well if you can ride it home ride it home it'd be easier said, all right i'll ride it home <laughs> uh, so I, the, the whole way home my left peg or my left foot was on the the rear peg and you know just kind of shifting by you know by feel i guess right uh, man that sucks yeah, but, yeah. yeah don't think i forgot about the chaps because i didn't i have it in my notes we'll get to that in a minute <laughs> But th- that is a uh, that'll be in our fashion segment that we get to. <laughs> but yeah, that is that is a dirty freeway to have to ride on, and and I wouldn't want to go down on it either because it's pretty damn rough. You know, like that whole surface is just rough. Yeah. Um. One so- something that you mentioned a few minutes ago got me thinking. What was it like when you moved from the East Coast to SoCal, and all of a sudden you can ride year round? You know what I mean? Oh, I'm in mean, the greatest. It, it was a good year um before i actually split lanes or anything like really took advantage of it but um but just having that 12 months a year riding was was just amazing and back then i did a lot more pleasure rides like going out to lake henshaw i think it's called way out in the east of um east county um out to palomar mountain and san bernardino and um uh, up to la i mean i would just i would ride everywhere every weekend i had free i would take off riding and and to be able to ride 12 months a year was just amazing. I, I, yeah. I got out here and, and it was, I remember it was February of um, 97 and it was, you know, 70 degrees and riding my bike around and I knew I was, I was never leaving, you know? Right. It's funny because it, it's, 
I mean, some people compare it to being almost as expensive as New York, but at least you're getting something for that high cost of living. You know what I mean? If you're, especially if yeah. you're an, a motorcyclist, but basically if you're into, into anything, you know, mountain biking, um, hiking, all that stuff, you don't have to like bundle up. There's very few days. I mean, when it gets like 50 here, people are like, Oh my God, I'm a snowman, but people are <laughs> like in shorts back East. So that yeah. is pretty cool. So once you got out here and you had, you know, 12 months more or less to start riding, um, did you start doing a regular ride or did you develop like a favorite place to go ride? Yeah, there was, there was a, that loop that takes you out. So I was living in San Diego at the time. Um, I, I didn't go to San Diego state, but I had an apartment real close to there. Um, and there was a loop that would take you out East to, um, I mean, there, there was a couple different, like the Mount Palomar loop was pretty popular and then out to Lake Henshaw and, and up to Julian and Idlewild. And it was really easy to, to get to a lot of those places from there. And, and I had that, um, I had that SP 600 down there too. So I'd go out to, um, Akatia Wells and, and ride that around there. And, uh, or is it, or is it Osatia? No, it's, it's Akatia. Yeah. Akatia. You got San Diego is a pretty good launching place as far as, you know, what's around there. I mean, almost all of California is, but yeah, San Diego actually surprisingly has a lot of like back roads that are still pretty rural, especially if you go out to, oh shoot, out by, like you're saying, Julian, um, some of the stuff that's further east that kind of is like parallel to the Mexican border um, and that like goes around. Area. Right, right. And like all the all the dunes and stuff are out that way. And then if you do the Palomar loop or the Mount Laguna loop over into the desert and all that stuff, you can go out to some more off-road, you know, you can do like a cool mountain twisty road and then end up if you, you know, had a dual sport, you could end up out on some dirt trails, you know, on the same road basically. So yeah, that's pretty cool. That's yeah, pretty one, cool. One thing that was really cool uh in um, and Mount Palomar. So there's the two popular or really the two roads are the East grade and the, uh, the, and the South grade and the, the, the South grade is the one that's like really short and twisty and, and zigzags all the way up in the, and the East grade is, has a little bit of that, but a little bit longer road, but there was a, uh, back then, I'm sure they have it closed off. Now there's uh, I think it's called Harrison grade road which is a dirt road that takes you all the way up to the top of Mount Palomar. It actually drops you off right inside the, um, the state park up there. And I, I took my, the SP 600 up there a couple of times and that was really neat just to, and it was a good, like, I mean, it had to be in geez, like 10, 15 miles of dirt road to, to get all the way up there. I mean, it, it was really neat. That yeah. Don't expect that out there. Yeah, no. And, and that's another thing about San Diego County is that, there is a surprising number of back road trails out of the county. It's it's probably mostly because they're um, fire maintenance roads or something like that. But you can get on some dirt track and not have to take uh, any freeway. You know what I mean? So that is, it's pretty cool. Um, where you are now, if you don't mind me telling people, you live close to a lot of motocrossers and stuff live out where you live. And there's, you know, a lot of, lot of dirt out where you are now. So you live basically halfway between San Diego and LA kind of out toward the, the, I would, I guess I'd call it the Hills, but there's yeah. more than Hills out there. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, well, it's, it's actually funny. Um, uh, when, uh, when I was off work and I, I was bored out of my mind, um, I, I just started looking on the map for places to go and I found a couple of dirt roads that were not too far from me. So I, I got on the dual sport 
and headed out there and and um like five minutes from my house there's there's all these ranches down these dirt roads and and buffalo you know just roaming around out in the i mean and five minutes from my house i was completely blown away and it, it was cool to think that there's those kind of dirt roads out there wow and, and i actually just started talking uh to uh, a couple of guys that uh, apparently live in the same town as me that have been doing some some dual sport rides for a while they're on another um uh, they're on uh, thumper talk and um um so of course I'm, I'm wasting the whole summer, you know, working. I'm only home for like two weekends out of the entire summer. I don't know if I'll get a chance to ride with them, but as soon as I get a weekend, I'm, I'm telling myself I'm going to hook up with those guys and, and check out some of the dirt roads around there. Cause apparently they're saying there's a lot more than what you'd think. So I'm looking forward yeah, to it. It's that's crazy. I know when you drive through there, you see all sorts of stuff. You know, I, I have family in San Diego, so I commute a lot and you can just see out, you know, I know that's out there. I don't know how to get to it, but I can see that it's there. And if I had, you know, a day to waste and, and you know, nothing to do with the family, I'd probably venture out there and see what was there and see, you know, I guess sometimes you could be trespassing. But like you said, there's actually still a lot out there that's, uh, I, I'm guessing it's just on forest land or, you know, I'm not 100% sure what it is, but um, you can definitely see it. And when you look on Google Maps or something like that, and you're looking down yeah. from a satellite, you realize, holy crap, like I'm surrounded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. That's cool. Okay, so now we're going to get into some some nitty gritty stuff. I would like to talk about uh, a little bit about your travels. But I think I think I'd, I'd like to also use that as a segue to talk about your traveling attire. <laughs> so uh, when Dr. K was on the show with me and he was doing his rant about assless chaps, he sent me an email that you used to wear, wear chaps. Now, was this on your, uh, on your VFR or was this on your dual sport? Uh, not, no, not the dual sport. Well, um, all right. Technically, all chaps are assless, right? Or else yeah, they just, they just do leather pants. Yeah, that's we decided that you can call anything without an ass on it assless. So like my assless socks right now, right? So yeah. So you yeah, wore no, I, you actually wore assless chaps to commute in. Yeah, you know I um the um I, I did I, I I'd wear them on the VFR when I was going to work and uh, I, I'm sure it looked kind of kind of silly, but uh they, you know they did the job. Um I I didn't feel I you know I didn't have to wear you know big specialty riding pants i just i could wear my regular pants that i wore to work and i just throw these on on top of them and, and as soon as i get to work i can just kind of peel them off real quick and and stick them in my backpack and and that was that right so I, were the were the pants that you wore underneath them also assless chaps <laughs> <laughs> you're like i'm taking my chaps off of my chaps here and <laughs> yeah no that's cool i mean it, it's funny it's just it makes sense. You know, from a practicality standpoint, it, it totally makes sense. That's, that's pretty rad to be cruising in a VFR and chaps. Uh, I forget what movie it was, but were they black or did, were they like, you know, the white with like the brown cow spots on them? What, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, we're just talking traditional black chaps. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Speaking of, you know, uh, I guess commuting and, and, and traveling in chaps and all that great stuff. Uh, is there any place that you have been, I'm, I'm guessing right now, you know, since you, since you're over in 
Europe, basically. Is there is there any place that you've gone that you'd like to go again in order to ride, or is there any place that you've actually um, ridden that you would want to revisit? You know, not not so much out here. Um, I, before I started traveling around here, I, I, I never thought I would because I, I always felt there was enough to see in the states, and and there's still like those places that I really want to go. Like I I would love to take a bike ride uh, around Mount Rushmore, you know, right right up through there, and um, or or um, take a bike up to Northern California and, and, you know, see the the huge redwoods and things like that. There's a lot of those places that I'd really love to, to go. And, and I'd, I'd love to take a long trip down, you know, parts of route 66. I, I've done a lot of this stuff in, in the car. I've, I've been back and forth to the East coast a handful of times in a car, but never on a bike. Um, um, I've never been up to like the, the Dakotas or up around there. we, we spent a weekend in Portland last year just because we had some, some free vouchers from Southwest. So we, we figured we'd head up there and there's some, I know there's some nice riding up in that area too, but, and I've been to like San Francisco and, and um, Santa Cruz, but again, just in a car, you know, so I'd love to take a bike up there sometime. You know, I listen to a podcast from up there and they're, they're always, you know, it sounds like so much fun. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I, I can't wait. I, I got to meet those guys. I'd, I'd love to yeah. take it right up to their, uh, to the recycle garage. They, right. They sound like a lot of fun. Right. Of course, we're talking about the motorcycles and misfits. So my wife says I talk about them too much on the show. So I, uh, <laughs> I will, it's my show. I can do what I want. Right. So, but yeah, no, that environment up there, I just, I love just visually for it, it feels like big sky country to me. And then just to see all those rolling Hills and those twisty like farm roads and mountain roads that you have to go on in order to get from town to town. I, I just, I think I would love to commute up, you know? Oh yeah, I'll, yeah sure. I'll go to the next town where, you know, cruise around <laughs> through the Hills, but yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, so you haven't seen anything like, you know, the, well, I guess, let me see, you're, you are like north of um, Italy right now, right? Northeast, just a little bit, but like yeah. the Stelvio, Stelvio Pass and all that stuff. Like, did you ever, ever want to cruise over the Alps or anything like that? Um, it, you know, it never really struck me. I, again, mm-hmm. I, I, um, I'm sure if I saw them and, and got up close and, and I'd be like, oh, I have to come back with a bike or. And, and maybe in the next couple of years, I'll get the, the opportunity to maybe do one of those adventure tour type bikes. And um, I, I'd much rather have someone make all the arrangements. I, I I don't know if I'm in the shape anymore to do like the camping off the back of my bike and things like that. Uh, so something where it's maybe, a, you know, more of a guided tour and they, they make a lot of the arrangements. And, you know, I don't mind doing long days in the bike, but um, uh, but then I definitely need a bed at the end of the day and a, a nice hot shower. <laughs> Right. And, you know, Alps, Schmalps, we got the Rockies here. And like you said, (laughs) South Dakota and all that stuff. So, I mean, we have our own fair share of super beautiful uh, landscape. We just, we kind of take it for granted, you know, living here. But yeah, I I, I totally agree. Kind of uh, on that note, is there, is there anything that you have coming up? Any plans, any trips, uh, any cool rides or anything like that that you have planned or that you want to get to sometime before this year ends? Um, no, not really. I mean, I, I try to work some dirt bike trips in. So that, that was the one we just took. We, um, over the holidays, we, um, we went up to Utah. We have some family there and, um, loaded up all the dirt bikes and, uh, uh, the nephews were there and, um, 
they have they had a really cool place where they've got um, dinosaur tracks that you can just ride right almost right up to um, but they're out in like in the middle of nowhere but you know you um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of riding and shooting that you can just pull off into um, i don't know what area it was but um uh, we basically just pulled off into one of the uh, parking spots, unloaded everything, and and hopped on the bikes and rode out there. And, and then you park at this one little area, and uh, and then you walk maybe like um, maybe 50, 75 yards, and they've got this area where you can just walk right up and, and see the dinosaur tracks. They're not fenced off. They're not, um, you know, they're not under three inches of glass. I mean, they, they just have them out there, and you can see them and right um, i mean it, it's amazing so that that was a cool thing that we did uh, uh with the kids um uh, and it was kind of neat um my we we rented a not a quad but like a one of those uh, it was a side-by-side like a, a polaris or an arctic cat type of thing um my because my son fractured his foot so so he couldn't uh, he couldn't even ride the the klx 110 so we rented that that four seater and he was able to, um, to cruise around in that Well, my, my brother-in-law drove him around mostly. Um, so we were, we were still able to get the whole family out. And, and I mean, that, those are the kinds of rides I look forward to. If I had, uh, you know, more free weekends, I'd, I'd do that. And my older son who really likes to, to go dirt biking, um, you know, he, he's, he'd love to, you know, take any chance and, and get out there with me and just cruise around on the dirt bikes. So yeah, no real big, street trips or anything. I, I just love to get another, uh, another couple of dirt bike sessions in. Right. That's pretty cool. That sounds pretty amazing to be able to walk up to, um, you know, some dinosaur tracks as long as they weren't fresh, you know, I'd be cool <laughs> with that. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Paul, well, listen, it has been a total blast wasting your time. It's gotta be like nearly two o'clock there in Budapest right now. Yep. Yeah. So I'm, it's time for you to either go out to the bar and party or go to bed. One of two, you choose, you can, you can, uh, stay around, but you can't stay here. Right. So, <laughs> so listen, I've had a total blast talking with somebody that, uh, appreciates the show and, and I thank you so much for giving me your time and for, uh, wasting the better part of your Friday night there with me. <laughs> so just blabbing about motorbikes, but that's what I love to do. And uh, I know you love to do it too. So I just want to say thanks, Paul. Is there anything you want to say or anybody you want to give a shout out or rip to since they don't know where to find you and what you look like? <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm just, you know, I'm just a, I'm a huge fan of the show and, and I'm glad you turned me on to the other guys. Like uh, you turned me on to motorcycles and misfits and to, uh, and to uh, uh, stock is for squares. You mean stock uh, but, versus squares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, th those are a lot of fun to watch too. And of course, no, you know, everybody's going to be hyping about uh, uh, the misfits now that Norman Reedus is on there, but, uh, but I was a fan before then. And that, um, yeah, I know you were too, but yeah, no, it, sure. I mean, I just, I just like being around, you know, other bikers and uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just a typical, you know, biker. I'm not like a, hardcore you know there, there's guys even in my town that um that are in these like you know clubs and they have you know the black vests and they ride the sport bikes and uh, i don't you know the the demolition guys or whatever they call themselves i'm just you know i'm just your typical rider uh, right. i do it for the love of it but yes and i and i i 
the the shows you know just keep me in in hysterics so i it's it's a lot of fun right well i i don't try that's just uh, how it turns out i try my best but it just turns out to be usually funny sometimes sad you know <laughs> so at any rate hey if you're out in the temecula area and you see paul he'll be the guy riding on on a motorbike out there so stop and, and say hi to him um and then like like i said thank you so much for for hanging out with me it's always fun to talk to people from all around and just meet new people and have the opportunity to make what i consider to be like moto friends that you can, you know, hopefully meet up with in real life someday. So as soon as I um, get my wooden leg back from the shop, I will try to get out there and, and do some dirt biking with you. All right, everybody. Well, that was Paul, uh, avid listener of the show. And like I said, email contributor, uh, tagline contributor. If you have your own sign-offs or taglines that you'd like to submit, do what Paul does. Get in touch with the show at creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Thanks, Paul. All right, everyone, that's our show for this week. There's a couple things we missed, like the new Triumph Speed Twin coming out, but I've got a list of things already ready for next week's show. Well, before I sign off, I'd like to remind you to leave us a review in iTunes, SoundCloud, the Google Play Store, Oddcast Podcast, all, any, anywhere you get us, any podcatcher that you get, any platform you use in order to uh, stream this show. Leave us a review, if you would. Also, follow us on facebook.com forward slash creative writing podcast. You can email the show at creative writing podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr at creative writing.tumblr.com or go to creative writing.com to check out the blog, some pics, and some posts of our guests. Sometimes we put events up there and every podcast episode's up there. So check us out there. Robot, is there anything you'd like to say before we sign off this week? All right, thanks, Robot. And as usual, stay tuned for next week's show. Here's our sorry list. Creative Writing would like to say we're sorry to the following companies, corporations, ideas, or what have you. Bramo, we are sorry. Victory, apologies. Pikes Peak, we are sorry. Harley Davidson, we're sorry. Don Kinney, we're sorry for like the third week in a row. Okay, we get it. Suzuki Motorcycle Company, we're sorry. The Van Van 200, we are sorry. And if anybody gets a chance to ride one of these uh, within the next few weeks, let us know how it is. The TW200, we're also sorry. Sorry that you guys in competition now too, sucker. Any vintage trail bikes, we're sorry. KTM, we're sorry. MotoGP, Moto America, World Superbike, and Flat Track Racing, we are sorry. You're all Motor Company, we're sorry. And we're sorry to every hipster that bought you thinking they were getting a discount when they could have gone back in time to about 10 years ago and got you for a quarter of the price. Hiya Sun Corporation, we're sorry. Energica Motorcycles and Alta Motors, we are sorry. European 4 Emission Standards, we're sorry. Budapest Hungary, we're sorry. The Alps, we are sorry. The Rockies, we are sorry. Utah and BMW Motorcycle Company, we are sorry. The RC16, we're sorry. No wings on MotoGP, we're sorry. The National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration, we are sorry. And Triumph, we're sorry. Most of all, Paul Smith, thank you for wasting your time. Straight from Hungary, and uh, I hope you don't. I was going to make a bad joke about Turkey and Hungary and Greece and, you know, that old, that old one. But 
Paul, we are sorry. Thank you for wasting a perfect good hour with us and giving us your stories. All right, everybody. We're out. And this is straight from Paul. Keep your boots above the roots. Huh? Until next time. Coming out, so we'll have. So, to- how you doing, man? Good, good. I, I just finished listening to your uh, to your last podcast uh, <laughs> a while ago. That, that that was a good one. It was really funny. Whoa, we don't want that. All right, man. It really is like four o'clock there. <laughs> uh, well, you look out the window and you can see like um, all these castles, and and you can see Parliament down the road. And just that's awesome. Is it really blue, the Danube? No, it's it's kind of brown over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like the Mississippi. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty. Uh, yeah, and see, you see that one with the uh, with, on that. Um, I don't know what you call that that stuff. It's called a road. It's called a rainbow road. It is a road that you go.